0: This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Oncology Knowledge into Practice podcast, where we discuss game-changing topics in clinical oncology with leading experts in the field. In this series, we're focusing on the ever-changing treatment landscape for cancers of the hematological system. This series is supported by educational grants from Servier Pharmaceuticals, LLC, and Takeda, who have had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. If you'd like to check out any of the publications that we mentioned in this episode, there's references and links for these in the episode notes. We're your hosts, Hannah Wilgar,
1: and Andre Grasso. Last episode, we started exploring best practice in treating acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL. Having focused on adolescent and young adult patients, today we're exploring new approaches to treating adult ALL using pediatric-inspired regimens. After quickly summarizing data in this space, we'll be joined by Dr. Emily Curran, Assistant Professor in the Department of Medicine, Section of Hematology and Oncology, at the UC College of Medicine, Cincinnati. As always, if you're already familiar with the trial data evaluating this approach, do feel free to skip ahead to the interview at the five-minute mark.
0: As discussed in our previous episode, ALL mainly affects children, with 80% of cases occurring in pediatric patients. However, the malignancy does occur in adults. Last time we focused on adolescent and young adult, or AYA, patients aged between 15 and 39. But what of adult patients aged 40 and above? As described in a recent publication by Marland and Moti in The Lancet, outcomes for this population remain poor. Disease risk stratification has improved the outcome of younger patients. However, prognosis of adult patients remains poor. New strategies are being developed to improve this, including immunotherapies, CAR T therapies, and alternative treatment regimens.
1: Standard practice in adult ALL is to use the hyper-CVAD regimen, which is a combination of hyperfractionated cyclophosphamide, vincristine, doxorubicin, and dexamethasone, alternating with methotrexate and cytarabine. However, As stated in Moskov and colleague's paper in 2016, this regimen is reported to only have a five-year overall survival rate of up to 38% in clinical trials. And in their real-world retrospective analysis, only 37.5% of adult patients were alive at the two-year post-treatment.
0: To this end, trials have explored the use of paediatric-inspired regimens, including intensified doses of non-myelotoxic drugs, such as prednisone, vincristine, and or L-asparaginase. One such trial was the GRAALL 2003 study, published in 2009. This trial evaluated the paediatric-inspired combination of prednisone, vincristine, and asparaginase in adult patients with Philadelphia chromosome-negative ALL. The trial compared its results retrospectively with a prior trial and observed improved outcomes among the experimental group compared to the historical comparator up until the age of 45. However, in older versus younger patients, there was a higher cumulative incidence of chemotherapy-related deaths. This trial contributed towards the shift in consensus that AYA patients should receive the paediatric regimen, but the questions still remain on how to best approach these older adult patients.
1: The major barrier to use these more intensive treatment regimens is treatment-related adverse events. As described by Burke and colleagues in 2018, preliminary results of pediatric-inspired regimens are promising. But hepatotoxicity rates associated with asparaginase are greater in adults than children.
0: Several adapted regimens have been developed to attempt to balance the toxicities of the pediatric regimen with its efficacy. One such regimen is the Berlin-Frankfurt-Münster, or BFM regimen. The BFM regimen uses prednisone, vincristine, asparaginase, downamycin, cytrobine, and methotrexate and has been studied as an alternative to hyper-CVAD in several trials. However, results appear conflicting. A 2014 study by Ala Cassiolu and colleagues observed a higher five-year survival rate in the BFM group compared to the hyper-CVAD. But a 2017 study by Al Chek and colleagues noted similar outcomes in terms of remission, three-year survival, and three-year disease-free survival. Both trials noted that both regimens were relatively well-tolerated. However, the trials included all adult patients, not just older patients. For example, the 2014 study's median age was 25 years.
1: So what is the optimal approach in adult patients, including those above 40 or 50? Given the volume of trial data to sort through, answering this question can be quite complex. Fortunately, to help summarize available evidence in current consensus best practice is Dr. Emily Curran, Assistant Professor in the Department of Medicine, Section of Hematology and Oncology, at the UC College of Medicine in Cincinnati.
0: Welcome and thank you for joining us. So for our first question, the data clearly support pediatric-inspired regimens for adolescent and young adult patients, but is there an age cutoff? As a patient approaches the 39-year mark, is this still the optimal approach?
2: Yeah, so I think all of the data to date, including the, um, the data from the, the recent 104.3 study, has pretty clearly and consistently demonstrated that, that a pediatric-based approach can be safely used and, and effectively used really up to the age of 40. Um, you know, it may be that there's certain toxicities that do increase in our older patients, but really the, the benefits um, of this approach outweigh the, the risks. Um, And I think uh, again, consistently with a lot of the the ongoing studies and and previous work, it's shown that up to the age of 40, these can really uh, be used and improve outcomes. And so um, I I still strongly um, prefer a pediatric-based approach for any patients all the way up to the age of 40.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that. So for those over 40, what is the current standard of practice? Are pediatric-inspired regimens still suitable or would this be the time to use hyper-CVAD?
2: So I think this is really where the the controversy arises um, and where the data become really less clear um, is how far can we expand this age range beyond the age of 40. Uh, And there have been several prior studies that have have looked at this and have looked at trying to use pediatric-based approaches Uh, beyond the age of 40, even up to the age of 50 and beyond. And I think that those studies have shown that while a pediatric-based approach can be used safely and effectively, um, the the risks start to outweigh the benefits and the toxicities outweigh any benefit when you get to about the age of 50. Um, And so I think in, in in an adult who is fit and is under the age of 50, I would consider a pediatric-based regimen, um, but with a a clear uh, discussion with the patient about the potential risks. I think when you get beyond the age of 50, that's when we really start to see that the toxicities outweigh the benefits of of a pediatric-based approach. And um, I would say for, for the older adults, so patients above the age of 60, my approach is, instead of a pediatric-based regimen, is to really try to minimize the cytotoxic chemotherapy by using some of the, the novel agents. And so uh, there's several ongoing clinical trials using uh, the newer agents such as inutuzumab and blenatumumab to try to minimize cytotoxic chemotherapy and all of the toxicities uh, therein. Uh, in the the older population. And I think this is really uh, my approach in those older adults. For the patients who are younger but less fit or in the age range of 50 to 60, I think that it's a kind of you you have to start weighing the the risks of these regimens and I think perhaps as the data come out, we may be using, again, more novel agents and less cytotoxic chemotherapy, even in our, our patients that are younger than age 60. Uh, but time will tell as far as these um, as the study results come out. I think for any patient, hyper cbad is always a reasonable option. Uh, but I think that we do have some other approaches that maybe as good or perhaps even better than than
0: hyper-CVAD. Great, thank you. So for adult patients eligible for a pediatric regimen, what method can be employed to reduce the risk of adverse events such as hepatotoxicity?
2: So one approach that that our group and others have used to try to minimize the risk of hepatotoxicity, uh, especially as associated with uh, asparaginase, is to cap the dose. Of asparaginase or to, to decrease the dose via, uh, below what has been used in pediatric based regimens. Uh, and so, in the 10403 study, as well as in the ongoing cooperative group trial the uh, for, through the Alliance, the, the dose of uh, asparaginase was, or PEG uh, asparagase was capped at 3750 units. Uh, so, even if a patient uh, required a higher dose that dose would be would be decreased to thirty seven fifty to try to minimize the toxicity and I think an, another approach in adi- in addition to capping the dose that has been taken by several groups including our own is to actually go down on the dose uh, and so the our group as well as others have looked at using lower doses uh, of asparaginase so using a dose of 1,000 units per meter squared, as opposed to the standard 2,000 or uh, 2,500 dose, uh, to try to minimize the toxicity. And we recently published data showing that doses as low as 500 or 250 could be effectively used, effectively and safely used in, in patients with ALL to try to minimize some of that hepatotoxicity. And with that approach, it's really important to monitor the levels um, after giving the asparaginase to ensure that you're achieving adequate levels, and then giving an additional dose if the the level is, is inadequate. There's a, unfortunately no strong data to really support this approach, but but many people do in the, the uh, do feel that by giving a lower dose of asparaginase, perhaps we can try to minimize some of those toxicity.
0: Perfect, thank you. Finally, if you had one key piece of advice or takeaway message for our listeners in the adult treatment setting, what would it be? These are
2: very com- These can be very complex regimens, um, and there can be unexpected toxicity so um, I would say if using these regimens always feel free to reach out for advice Um, you know even those of us who use these regimens frequently still uh, run into things that we haven't seen before or questions and um, I think those who who use these regimens frequently are always happy to to answer questions um, if they arise and then I think the other important point is um, is that we're we're still we've made a lot of improvements in treatment for these patients with with ALL with the use of the pediatric regimens as well as the novel therapies. But there's still a lot more improvements to be made. And so I think that the the best treatment options for our patients are often to be enrolled on clinical trials. And so I would strongly suggest that if a clinical trial is available to, to try to enroll a patient on those. So there's actually quite a few um, clinical trials ongoing. using. Uh, there's some using pediatric-based regimens and then also uh, trials ongoing for, for older patients as well. Um, and so there is, at least in the United States, there is an, an ongoing trial, a cooperative group trial that uses a pediatric-based regimen for young adults with ALL, but incorporates um, some of the novel agents uh, with inutuzumab, azogamycin, to try to uh, improve the outcomes even further for young adults. So there's also ongoing trials in in older adults, again, using some of the novel therapies uh, to try to minimize chemotherapy, um, or in some cases, even eliminate it completely to try to improve outcomes in older adults. So I think regardless of the age, looking for a clinical trial that tries to improve even further on the, the improvements that we've made over the, the past decade is really important because I think that this is how we, we can uh, offer the best possible treatment options for our patients.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for answering all of our questions. It was a pleasure to to have the opportunity. Thank
1: you. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. To recap on the key points we discussed, pediatric-inspired regimens should be used for patients under 40 and for those as old as 50 with good fitness. For other patients up to the age of 60, it is about weighing up the risks and benefits of pediatric regimens. For those not suitable for pediatric regimens, clinical trials should be explored and failing those Hyper-CVAD should be offered. Again, if you'd like to check out any of the publications that we've mentioned today, you'll find references for these in the episode notes. Join us on our next episode for a discussion of adverse event management in ALL.
0: If you enjoyed today, please do subscribe and join us then. And if you have time to leave us a review, we'd love to hear your feedback. If you want more, you can also find free accredited continuing medical education modules on our website onkip.com. And you can find a link to this in the episode notes. So please do check it out. If you're a Twitter fan, our handle is at Onkip. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.